Lord, you're worthy of our worship, our praise, and we just thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word, your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart that is here. And Lord, it doesn't matter about all the technical difficulties and things going on around us, Lord. We thank you that you're still God, you're still in control, and your word still rocks. We just ask that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Man, with all this mess, we had to move. Amen. All right, turn your Bibles to 3 John. 3 John. Am I the only one that hears that humming? I'm just getting worried. I thought I might have a brain tumor or something. I was just getting a little concerned. All righty then. Well, it's been a day. Hey, well, uh, I'm excited. I don't know about you, about Sunday. Amen? Be in prayer that uh, the last few little hurdles will be taken care of and we'll be there on Sunday. I think, uh, I may misquote her, but I think Sherry Holdridge nailed it today when she said, you know, this place feels, feels like home when you walk in here. And I really feel like that's what it feels like, the new, the new building. So I'm excited to be there. At the same time, I've been really blessed in that we've been here in Santa Cruz nine years next month. We've been here almost eight in this gym. God's done some great and awesome things here. Amen. And because it's not about a building, it's about the people. I'm just praising God for what he's done. All right, 3 John. 3 John is, uh, in the original language, the shortest letter in the Bible. And it, it's almost more of a postcard than a letter. And it drives home an important lesson. And I pray tonight that we would leave here uh, encouraged and exhorted. It's a very focused epistle that provides a couple of very practical lessons for our lives. And it focuses on three different uh, men. It speaks largely of two of them with a mention of, of the third. The first one is Gaius, is his name. He's the one the letter was written to by John the Apostle, and he writes it to this man, a man whom he loves a great deal. And we see the characteristics of Gaius, that he is a generous, hospitable, and godly man. Then the second man we're going to talk about is Diosthrophes. Now, Diosthrophes is a man who is very ungodly. He's almost the anti-Gaius. He's just the opposite. You know, guys, we can either further the gospel or be a hindrance to it. We can either be those who bring people to the Lord or drive them away from it. And we're going to see that example in Gaius and Diostrophes. They, they are just, just exact polar opposites of each other in their heart, in their desire, in their passions, and in the way that they live their lives. So Gaius was generous and hospitable, but, but Diostrophes is the dictator. He's a little tyrant. He's a man with an, with an attitude. And then finally, in one verse, we're going to hear about Demetrius. And Demetrius is a, another godly, diligent servant who is used as an example as opposed to Diostrophes. Now, we can look back on the early church, and sometimes we might think that they were all on fire for God. You know, you look back, but if you've read through the book of Acts, you know that's not true. You know they had struggles in, like we have struggles now. And I would say this, that during their times of great persecution, they had to make a stand, and often that would cause them to be for God or against Him. And guys, if you're not paying attention, we're headed toward that in this country. We're getting to a place where, you know what, it may be against the law to teach the whole Bible. It may be against the law to stand up for the Word. I think I mentioned that down in San Diego, you know, these people were, you know, told they couldn't have a Bible study in their house. And they had to go to the court, and they finally backed down. But amazingly, I mean, it's like communist Russia. But here's the reality, guys. You know what? I praise God for persecution, and whatever it's going to take to light a fire under us in this country, then bring it on. 
Because guys, it's not about our comfort, but God being glorified. Amen? Well, here we have this picture, and we're going to see that that these three men respond to God in a very different way. And we're going to see this letter written by John as he addresses these three men in a very different way. One of the key words we're going to see in this short letter is the word witness or testified. Three times we see this word being used. And it's talking about these men having a witness. Now again, you can have a good witness or a bad witness. Every Christian is a witness, either helping the truth or hindering it. There were plenty of problems in the early church because there were, were people in the church. And as long as there are people in the church, there are going to be problems in the church. And you've heard me say this many times. If you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find it. And if you do, you would ruin it when you got there. Amen? But praise God, He doesn't give up on problem people. If He did, we'd all be done. As we're going through and looking at, at diastrophes in here, you're going to look and say, man, this guy's a mess. But praise God that God can rescue even a man like him. So, one great example of, of this that we're going to see in the letter tonight is going to instruct us personally how we ought to be, but also teach us on how we ought to deal with such problems within the local church. So in short, John addresses these three men. Here's what he's going to say in preview, and then we'll get into the text. To Gaius... The hospitable and generous man, a man of spiritual health and maturity, a man with a godly testimony who walked in the truth, a man who faithfully served in practical ministry. To this man of spiritual maturity, godly testimony, and faithfully, a faithful servant, John delivers a word of appreciation. To Diotrephes, the dictator, a man who loved preeminence, a man who would not submit to godly authority, a man who lied, a man who tore others down, a man who loved to build himself up, a man who brought false accusations against an elder and apostle. So a man who rejects and, and disciplines those who disagree with him concerning the man of this arrogance and, and won't submit to godly authority, who's a liar, who tore others down and disciplined those who dis agreed with him, Don delivers a word of rebuke and instruction. Guys, this is what we see throughout Scripture. Someone comes to the Lord broken and repentant, they get grace. Someone comes to God arrogant, self-righteous, with an attitude, they receive judgment. Amen? And that's an example for us. If we come to God self-righteous and arrogant and questioning Him, get ready for some judgment. And we deserve it. Amen? But if we come to him broken and humble and desperate and crying out to him, praise God that we know because of his character, he will pour out his grace. And that's what we're going to see in tonight's text. And then finally to Demetrius, a man who lives a life that walks in obedience to the truth and is a good testimony to all, John delivers a word of praise. So for you and I, our lives and our actions will reflect our hearts and we'll, we will produce, excuse me, a response from God. And it will produce that response now, but it'll also produce response in the future. May we not desire the praise of men, not to take the place of preeminence, but to live lives of servants submitted to God, esteeming others greater than ourselves, walking in the truth, and living for Him every single day. Guys, here's what our focus ought to be. Here's the treasure we ought to be seeking. Seven words. Well done, now good and faithful servant. That ought to be the passion, the motivation, and the desire of our heart to serve the Lord. So let's take a look. If you're taking notes tonight, I titled the message, A Word Rightly Spoken. And then I underlined, underneath that, I put the privilege 
of working together in Christian love. There's a blessing in being knit together with other believers. But you're going to see that a word is rightly spoken, both words of encouragement, words of appreciation, but also words of rebuke and instruction. So first, to the faithful brother, a word of appreciation. And we're going to see three qualities of a faithful brother. That he's spiritually healthy, he has a godly testimony, and he faithfully serves others. Second, to a divisive dictator, a word of rebuke and instruction. We'll get to the six marks of a dioth... I don't, how, do, how do you pronounce his name? Somebody tell me. Diopropes? Diopropes, okay. So make sure. Diopropes. And then finally... To a godly example, a word of praise. So diopropes, we're going to see six marks of a diopropes. Maybe tonight you can say, am I diopropes? Find out. (laughs) Pay attention to the message. I hope not. And maybe you'll see a few of those attributes in your life and you'll go, hey, bad play. Let's get rid of those. Amen? All right, let's begin. To a faithful brother, a word of appreciation, a word rightly spoken. It says there in verse 1, the elder. We talked about this in chapter, in, in the second letter of John, that the elder can describe both his age and his level of spiritual maturity. Some have said it's his age, some it's level of spiritual maturity. I believe it's both because John is the apostle and he's now a very aged apostle. And depending on who you listen to, at the youngest, he was in his late 70s. At the oldest, he was in his 90s. So an apostle, one of the last living links between Jesus walking on earth and those who were alive. He had walked with the Lord. He was an apostle who spent three years with him. As we talked about, he was the last apostle there at the cross. Remember, he was given charge over uh, Jesus's earthly mother, Mary. Behold your son, behold your mother. And he was uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And all the other apostles at this point have been martyred and put to death. John's that last remaining link between the two. And he writes this letter And again, because he's the apostle of love, it's filled with love, but it's also filled with exhortation. So he's a man anywhere from his late 70s to early 90s. And it gives us an idea of his relationship with the people receiving this letter because he simply says the elder and they know who it is. It'd almost be like you getting a letter and opening it up and it's just signed your pastor. And you know immediately exactly who that is. Well, in this case, it's a reflection that there was a great intimacy in the relationship between John and Gaius and all the others that would receive this letter or read this letter because he simply describes himself as the elder. Points to that intimate fellowship. And then he says this. So in these letters, because they were written on scrolls, just quick reminder, he would always put the name of the author first, And then right below the name of the author, the recipient of the letter. And here's what it says. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. After identifying himself, he identifies the one he's writing to. Now Gaius, believe it or not, was a very common name in the Roman Empire. We know of at least four different Gaiuses in Scripture, and we can't be positive as to which one he's writing to, or if it's one that's completely different than all others who've been mentioned before. Of the Gaiuses in the Bible, you see the one that was in Corinth that Paul baptized. Later, there's a Gaius from Macedonia who uh, had accompanied Paul to Ephesus. Later, in Acts 20, there's a Gaius in Derbe. But here, we see in 3 John that later, this Gaius is referred to as someone who is referred to by by, uh, John as a son. 
And so I don't believe he's someone who traveled with Paul at all. I believe it's a totally separate individual. So I want to clear that up as you read through. You're going to see this name other places. So what do we know about this man, Gaius, whom this letter was written to? Well, as we're about to see, he was a true spirit-filled believer. Probably one of the churches in Asia, Asia Minor, uh, which today is modern-day Turkey, where John had apostolic oversight and his greatest influence. And again, while we're not sure which one he is, we can absolutely be sure about how John feels about this man. Because this letter is filled with love. He says, Beloved Gaius. Now, in Greek, it's actually Gaius the Beloved. And it's almost like part of his name in the opinion and the heart of John. Now, the word beloved there means the well-beloved. It speaks of a deep affection. And John uses this term in regards to Gaius. And, he review, and he's going to use it in referring, referring to him four times. He's going to use the same word, beloved, 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 beloved. John really loves this guy. And then he says this, To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. The word love there is agape. So he says, I have agape love for you. Agape is a selfless, unconditional, Holy Spirit originating, committed love. And it's a love that you cannot have if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's a love that brings believers together and helps us to be like-minded and have that, that heart that's bond to, bound together. And so you see here two men, and you see this love that John has for Gaius, and he's writing in this letter, encouraging him. Notice what he says, though, whom I love in truth. This unconditional love was grounded in their common heart and attitude and commitment toward the truth of God's word. Guys, when you have a a light commitment toward the word of God and toward the God of the word, there's a knitting together of your heart. Matter of fact, you know, when you want to unite lives in a powerful way, find two human beings who have the same love, respect, and commitment for the word of God. The same mutual love for and commitment to God's word brings together a very powerful and uniting force, which is the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say this many times. The world says that blood is thicker than water. But what I would say to you is that the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. That love goes deeper, based not on common blood flowing through our veins, but the same Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts. And you see in our common love of the truth. So these are two men who have a common love for the Word of God. John looks at this man, and this is a man he respects. This is a man who he sees the hand of God upon his life, and he's writing him this letter to appreciate and encourage him, and we'll see why in a moment. Guys, again, it's this type of agape love, Holy Spirit-driven, committed to the truth relationship that exists between John and Gaius and should exist between us here tonight. Amen? Now, why, you know, isn't it amazing? Haven't you found, and if you haven't found this yet, I pray that you will, but isn't it amazing how much you come to love your, your family in the body of Christ? You just come to love them. You want to serve them. You want to minister to them. You want to care for them. You want to pray for them. You find yourself interceding on their behalf. When they're weeping, you're weeping. When they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing. When God does something great in their life, you're so excited for them. And when they're going through a tough time, you want to just put your arm around them. That's the Holy Spirit in common. And that's what these guys have. The same common Holy Spirit that has knit them together. So the first thing we're going to see, three things we see about this spiritual maturity First, we're going to see this thing about Gaius, this faithful man of God, that he is spiritually healthy. Look at verse 2. 
Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. First of all, again, he calls him beloved. Yet again, beloved. John continues his words to Gaius with a common greeting, but he expands it. And, you know, and basically, this is a greeting that would say, you know, I hope all things are working out for you. Hope things are going well. But we can examine that a little more closely. Notice the specific things that he prays for on Gaius's behalf. That you may prosper. Now the word prosper there means that you may do well along the way. That as you are going on the way, you may do well. And a lot of times people have taken this verse to use it to talk about you know, prospering. You know, if, if you're walking with God, you're going to be wealthy. And you and I know, both know that God did not call us necessarily to be wealthy, though you might be. But God called us to be tools in the hands of our master used for his glory impacting eternity. And it may be that the best way God can do that in our lives is for us not to be so wealthy. And if that's the case, then praise God. Amen. Too often, what, is, what, what can wealth do? Wealth can distract us. What did Jesus say? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. Why is that? Because with great riches come great distractions. Now, you can be rich and serve God, but you better keep your eyes on God and make Him the priority of your life. But He's telling them, you know, that you may prosper, that you may have a good journey, that you may be successful in the way that you go. So as you're going out, Gaius, I pray that you will be prosperous, that wherever you go, that whatever you put your hand to, God's hand of blessing will be upon it. But then He says, not only that you will prosper, but that you will be in health. The word health there is to be well in body, uncorrupt, safe and sound, whole. Some have supposed again that this prayer for health meant that Gaius was dealing with the health issue, and that's possible. He may have been praying for his brother who he loves a great deal, and he knows that he's going through a difficult time as far as his health is concerned, and he's interceding on his behalf. And then he says this, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Here's what he says. What a powerful statement in regard to Gaius' spiritual walk. I pray that you will be as prosperous in your daily activities and as healthy in your body physically as you are in your soul spiritually. That's powerful. Here's what he says. I pray that the rest of your life is in just as good a shape as your walk with God. Wow. Now, some of us wouldn't necessarily want to pray that prayer. Amen? I pray that your health and your wealth line up with your walk with God. Some of us, oh, no, no, no. You know, because, hey, my walk with God, not so much. You know, some of us would be, take, be taken out of here in a gurney. Amen? If our health and wealth, if it was, you know, we'd be begging in the street and getting dragged out of here in a gurney if you compared where we were spiritually and lined us up with our health and how we're doing in our physical things. Amen? Not everybody wants to pray that prayer. But that says a great deal about Gaius, doesn't it? When John can say to him, I pray that the rest of your life lines up with where you are spiritually. You're doing so well in your walk with God. My prayer is simply this, that your health and your prosperity is equal to how you're doing in your walk with God. Guys, our deepest desire, again, shouldn't be our physical wealth and comfort, but being glorified in, God being glorified in and through us. Again, sometimes it's God's will that we experience poverty. I will say this. Nobody in this country really knows what poverty is. Amen? 
Anybody who's been to a third world country, been to India, been to Mexico, of course, you go down to these places and you see how some people live. And some of us make more, literally, more in a day than some of them make in a year. We have no idea what poverty really is. And I'm not downplaying if you're struggling financially to make it less than it is, because it can be a struggle even in this country. But real poverty is when you don't know what you're going to eat next week, tomorrow. You don't know where you're going to sleep. And I'm not talking about those who are homeless because they're lazy. I'm talking about people who are do, do everything they can for their family and have to come home and have nothing to feed their children. And we see that all over the world that we live in today. But Gaius is a man of great spiritual maturity. And John prays that his health and wealth would match up equally with his spiritual prosperity. Now, it's interesting that if we want to be physically healthy, we're talking about, we're talking about this in the office today, two main things it comes down to are diet and exercise. If you want to be spiritually healthy, the same is true. You need to be feeding upon the Word of God. Amen? And then you need to take what you're feeding upon and use that to exercise the faith God has given you and the gifts that He has given you. So if we are to grow physically and be strong physically, we need to eat right and we need to exercise. And if we are to grow spiritually, we need to be eating right and we need to be exercising that which God has given us spiritually. Gaius, may you prosper. May it be the rest of your life be the way that you are spiritually. Then the next thing he says to him, not only do you, about, talks about spiritual health as being an attribute of this godly man, but also a good testimony. Look at verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified, there's that word, testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Gaius' spiritual maturity had come to John's attention through the testimony of others. Note, the word that Gaius was filled with the truth of God's word, that he walked in the truth of God's word, came not by his own words, but the testimony of others. It wasn't Gaius telling everybody how spiritual he was. The testimony being testified of, the witness of him, was being told to John by others, as we're about to see, who had passed through the town where Gaius lived. And Gaius, as a godly man and a man with the gift of hospitality, was taking these people into his home and caring for them. And as he cared for them, they got to see what a godly man he was as he served them and loved them. And then they would go out from that city as they traveled from place to place, these missionaries, witnessing and and sharing the gospel. And they would come into contact with John. And again and again and again, evidently, John had heard about Gaius. Oh man, if you go into that town, go to the house of Gaius. Godly man, righteous man, loving man, hospitable man, heart of a servant. Can I say this? The Bible tells us that we're, we should never testify of ourselves. Let another man speak well of you. Amen? And you know what? I can honestly say this. And while we've probably all been guilty of it at a time, there are a few things more nauseating than to hear someone boast about how spiritual they are. Amen? And all they've done for God. Uh, not, a few things in the world are more nauseating than that. I was in Washington, D.C., a few years back, they had a watchman on the wall, and there's, there's pastors there from all denominations and, and from all over, the wor- all over the country and maybe all over the world, but all over the country for sure. And I remember this one guy getting up, and it, I literally was about to throw up because he went on and on and on about how great he was. 
And how, how, you know, how blessed God was to have him on his side. And all the great things he had done for God. And I did this and I did that. And not only that, my son's coming up after me. And they don't know what's going to happen. My son's going to take the world by storm. And, I, and I'm sitting back there going, man. I thought about the text in the Bible where the king began to brag about himself and God allowed the worms to eat him from the inside out. Just kind of waiting for it to happen. But here's the reality. Guys, we should never, ever, 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 ever take credit for anything God is doing. Amen? We're simply along for the ride. We are tools in the hands of the Master. He gets all the praise and the glory and the honor. Can you imagine? Because here's what's, what we're saying. What we're saying is, I am such a holy person, and we're all but taking credit for the cross of Calvary. Because apart from the cross, what can you and I do? Nothing. Apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we're taking credit for what the Holy Spirit is doing. We're taking credit for what God has done. We're taking credit for what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Gaius is not speaking well of himself. Others are speaking well of him. Boy, that guy's a godly guy. He had a good testimony. Gaius was a man of God in belief, in word, and in actions. You know what's interesting? Think about this. Jesus is God. Amen? And he never pointed to himself. Now, if someone asked him, are you the son of God? It is as you say. He would respond in, in, in truth, but you know what? He was always pointing people to the Father, and He's God. Amen? And then the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? And the Holy Spirit was doing what? Always pointing people to Jesus. Now, if Jesus is never pointing to Himself, and the Holy Spirit doesn't point to Himself, who in the world are we to be pointing to ourselves? Amen? Lord forbid. Help us never to ever, ever fall in that trap. So Gaius is a godly man. Gaius is a man who's faithful. So how does John respond? He says, I rejoiced greatly. The word rejoice there means to be full of cheer. He was excited. The depths of his joy are noted in the very next verse. Look what he says. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, in this case, this means that John sees Gaius as his child in the faith. This would point to the fact that one of two things is probably true. Either is somebody that John led to the Lord, or at the very least, somebody who was a part of John's church or someone that John discipled. And so John views him as a son or a child in the faith. And he says, I rejoice greatly to hear that you're walking with God, that you're serving God, that you're ministering to people, that you have a godly testimony, that you're spiritually healthy. And you know what? It brings great joy to my heart. I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. Nothing more significant in the life of a believer next to your own salvation than leading someone else to Christ. Amen? Well, that was really weak. Next to your own salvation, there's nothing greater than leading someone else to Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, I know it's Wednesday and we're in metal chairs, but come on. Because if we're not excited about it in here, we're not going to be very vocal out there. You know, the sad truth is that most Christians, according to surveys, have never led anyone to Christ in their lifetime. And that's the equivalent of us Dying, being, dying 
of a terminal disease, somebody giving us enough antidote for the entire world, injecting ourselves and hiding the rest. Amen? Guys, we have the antidote to the death serum, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we should not be ashamed of it. We should be bold in sharing the truth with others. So he's excited because what adds to that excitement of leading someone to Christ is then seeing them really, as my dad would say, get saved real good. Amen? They didn't just walk an aisle and pray a prayer, but you look back months and years later and they're on fire for God and they're leading others to Christ and they're serving faithfully and they're using their gifts. And boy, that just brings such joy to the heart of a believer. Amen? This is John. I led that young man to the Lord. And now he's not only walking with God, but I'm hearing from others what a godly man that he is. I can know no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. Word had come back to John that Gaius was being a faithful man, that he was giving them a, a safe haven as they were traveling from city to city, providing for them a safe and a clean place, but also a place of godly fellowship and nourishment and encouragement. And I imagine John hearing this from travelers, how they were weary and Gaius, you know, again, opened his home and blessed them and ministered to them and how it brought incredible joy to his heart. Notice again, that my children walk in truth. Not that they stand in truth. Standing in truth is good, right? But guys, there's a time for us to quit being stagnant and start moving. Amen? It's not just stand in truth, but walk in truth. Move forward, growing spiritually. You've heard me say this. I haven't said it in years, I don't think. But Christianity is like a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. Amen? There really is no stagnant walk with God. Guys, one month from day, today, you'll be closer to God or further away than you are right now, and it's up to you. Because if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? God doesn't move, we do. And John is encouraged to hear that Gaius is walking with the Lord and making a stand for God. He's holding fast. He's adhering to the truth. And it's reflected not just in his words, but in his actions. You know, as a pastor, there's few things that, that get me more excited. When I was at the pastor's conference, I had a chance to go out to, to dinner with a kid that was in my youth group. And he is now 38. Ouch. How did that happen? He was in my youth group when he was 17. He's 38. Wow. But in talking to him or talking to others, I got a call from a young man that was in my youth group in Southern California. And he called me up to let me know he's now the youth pastor of Calvary Chapel, Lima, Ohio. And I was just like, and I remember when he was a tatted up young man standing in the front row, drugged by his friends, didn't want to be there, and the second week jumping out of his chair to get saved. And the following Sunday, baptizing him in my swimming pool. And then later doing his wedding. And then he moves away and I lost touch. And then getting an email. And then getting a phone call saying, you know what, I just became the youth pastor. I want to I talk to you about what I'm supposed to do. Man, it brings joy to your heart. Because it wasn't just him standing up in youth group 15 years ago. But he's continuing to walk with the Lord. Guys, that's exciting, isn't it? This is the heart that John's writing to Gaius. Man, word has come back to me that you're standing in the truth. I can know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. The only thing better is to have your own earthly children walking in the truth. Amen? And we need to pray for that and intercede on behalf of our kids. We want to see them in love 
with Jesus. So Gaius, spiritually mature. He had a good testimony, and he's faithfully serving others. Look at verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Beloved, you do faithfully. Having commended Gaius for his commitment to the truth, he now commends him for his faithfulness and behavior. Okay, you're a man who walks in the truth, but that goes beyond the truth that you believe in your heart, but I can see it in the way that you live. I've heard about it in your behavior. And notice what he says. You do it for the brethren and for strangers. He didn't just minister to the people that he knew and liked. He ministered to people he didn't even know. Sometimes we would love to minister maybe to people that we know really well and we feel really comfortable with. But if it's somebody we don't know, not so much. But this is a sign of spiritual maturity. This is a sign of a man who's truly faithfully serving others and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a practical outworking of the command to love one another. Did he say love one another as long as you know them? He says love everybody, amen? Even those you don't know. Gaius serving to these traveling missionaries was ministry in action. Here's what he says, verse 6. Who have borne witness of your love before the church. The word was out. If you go to that city, go see Gaius. He's going to take good care of you. His agape love for both those he knew and those he didn't was reflected in his hospitality, providing a safe place to be fed, to rest, to be refreshed and encouraged. Can I tell you that this is a gift that is not thought about enough, the gift of hospitality. I'll tell you what, I love to see that gift in action. I really do. You know what that says? It's when someone comes to a place where they recognize, my house isn't my house, it's God's house. My stuff isn't my stuff, it's God's stuff. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. You know what, sometimes it's going to be inconvenient. Maybe it's going to be a time when I'm tired. But you know what, it's a blessing to me to know that if we have someone come into town, there are certain of you that I know I could call you at any hour and say, can you take this person in? And you would say, absolutely. I'm tired, but I'll do it. Why? Because that's the gift of hospitality. Amen? Opening up God's house to use it for God's kingdom. It's His stuff. Amen? You know when we're inhospitable? When we think it's our stuff. And I worked hard for this. Worked a lot of years. Had to do a lot to accumulate all the stuff I have. And if they come in here, they might get the carpet dirty. Can't be having that. You know, when I praise God that we had the opportunity in Southern California, we had a swimming pool in our backyard to have baptisms at our house for seven or eight years. And I'm running to people still that tell me, yeah, we were baptized in your backyard. And that just blesses me. It's God's backyard, amen? It's all his stuff. Let's use it for his kingdom and for his glory. Then he says this, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy, you will do well. These missionaries had sacrificed greatly to step out and travel the world to spread the gospel. And they would come in to a town. We talked about this in in the second uh, letter, that there weren't inns everywhere. And where there were inns, they weren't always the best places. Often they were filled with sinful behavior. They were often very dirty. It certainly wasn't a place where a weary missionary who has sacrificed everything to go and spread the gospel to a, a lost and dying world would find refreshment and encouragement. Guys, maybe you're not called to be a missionary. Maybe you are. Pray about it. But maybe you're not called to be a missionary, but here's what you can be. You can be someone who supports those who are going out. Amen? 
And let me just say this. Another Pastor Dave pet disgust. I've seen this happen so many times it really irks me. People would come to the church where I've, where I've pastored, San Jose, Southern California, and they would show up, and this is what they would say. Hey, we just bought a new mattress, and so here's what we thought. We thought we'd give this old beat-up, run-down one that we can't sleep on anymore to the missionaries. Or maybe one of the pastors can use it. Thanks. You know, it's kind of this thing of, you know, I want to give it to the Lord if I'm through with it. Guys, we don't give the rest, we give the best. Amen? We don't give God the leftovers, we give Him the first fruits. And it's pretty sad that that's what happens in the church often. I remember one time, I was going through the clothes that, we were, that they brought to give to these missionaries uh, that were visiting from Africa, and there was one shoe in there. I'm not kidding. One shoe. What is that? Guy's going to hop around Africa? I mean, that's just wrong. It's just wrong. But you know what, guys? And I even thought about that. I thought, you know what? How about you keep the old mattress and buy the new one for them? Amen? Now, again, you can't tell. So that's got to be in somebody's heart. But that was the heart of Gaius. I'm going to give them the best I have. I'm going to open my doors when I'm tired. I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to refresh them. I may not go out, but I'm going to send them out on their journey. Look what it says there again. Send them forward on their journey. Help them continue on. Help them move on. Help them move forward. We may not be sent, but we can be senders. Amen? We should be just as faithful to respond to our calling to support them as they have been to to go out. And guys, the missionaries and those in full-time ministry shouldn't be the only ones making the sacrifice. Amen? All of us should be doing it. Verse 7. Because... They went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. They took nothing from the unsaved. That's what this means. Here's what happens. They go out. They've committed their lives to God. They've walked away from everything. They've left the comforts from home. And now they go out and they do not want to downplay their message. They don't want it tainted. They don't want these unbelievers to think they're in it for the money. So when they go out, they won't even take money from the unsaved. We don't want your money. Why not? Because we don't want you to think that that's what it's about. We want you to know that we're here for one reason, to preach Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. We're not here to take from you, but to give to you. Now, if that's the truth, if they won't take from those that they minister to, that means that those of us who are believers need to help take care of them. Amen? Guys, it's been happening since the beginning of time that people have used religion to make money. And this is a a time when we need to make sure we're above reproach. You know our feeling here at Calvary Chapel. There's a reason why we don't... And again, if churches pass a basket, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Some have challenged me that we should do that. But my heart is, I want someone to come in the door here and, and have one thought in their mind. Those people love me. They want to share the word with me. And they don't want to take anything from me. And that we give, not from a heart and a a feeling of guilt, but we give out from a joyful heart. Amen? The giving is a get-to, not a have-to. And so this is the same heart of these guys who've gone out, and they're going out, and they're taking nothing from the unsaved. They're taking nothing from those they minister to. So if they're taking nothing from those they minister to, then there must be those who help in ministering to them. They didn't want to stumble somebody else, 
so they wouldn't take a dime from them. They wanted to be above reproach. Here's what it says in verse 8. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Here's what he says. He's speaking to Gaius. He says, Gaius, guys, the thing that you're doing is wonderful. And you know what? Let me commend you for it. Let me appreciate what you're doing and let me tell you what you're doing and what a blessing it is and how all of us should follow your example because they go out and they receive nothing from those they minister to. It's our job. But here's the good news. If we do it, we share in their reward. Do you know if you give to a ministry, you share in the fruit of that ministry? That's what the Bible teaches us. Amen? That's why when you pray about where to give, give where it's fruitful. And give where you're being fed. Amen? And so we see this exhortation that we can become fellow workers. When we send them out, we join them in their ministry. The Bible tells us who can go out unless someone sends them. Someone's got to support them. If we don't support them, they're not there. I praise God that, you know, our little church, I don't know how many GFA pastors we're supporting now, but I know it's dozens. Both just as the church and then as us as individuals. And then how many children that are in Bridges of Hope and then how many other, you know, missions. And you know what? Praise God that we can have an impact on half a world away by simply being faithful to give so that others might serve. Amen? That's the exhortation. That's the encouragement here. It's a heart of appreciation for a man who's faithful to serve God. So a word rightly spoken. To a faithful brother, a word of appreciation. Personal qualities of a faithful brother. He's spiritually healthy. He has a godly testimony. And he faithfully serves others. Second, to a divisive dictator. A word of rebuke and instruction. So we're going to see six marks of diatrophies. 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 Now diatrophies is the opposite of Gaius. You're going to see just the... Looking at these two men, they couldn't be more different. But I believe that they're obviously in this letter next to each other for a reason. So a word rightly spoken... To a divisive dictator, a word of rebuke and instruction. Look at verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, or Trophies, was who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. This guy is the anti-Gaius, and here's how. Gaius said, they come to my house, they're welcome. Anybody comes, I receive them in. Word is sent by an apostle to this man, and he won't hear it. He won't even receive it. Gaius receives in strangers who he's never met. This man will not even receive a word being given directly to him by a man being used mightily by God. Here's the six marks. Look at number one. He's a man who loves to have preeminence. This is never good. The word preeminence means he's one who wants to be first. He's one who is power-hungry and self-serving. He hijacks the church from God. He become, the church becomes an extension of the man. When you walk into the church, you see the man. You don't see the Lord. You see the emphasis on the man. The, the ministry is about the man instead of the ministry being about the Lord. This is a message for anybody who serves in ministry. Take heed lest you fall. Because... We should never want preeminence. We should never, you know, I, I, I would pray that we wouldn't want people to even remember our name. Remember his name. Amen? 
I've shared this with you before. It just came to mind that John Corson said when he was down at Biola University, they used to have all these well-known speakers come in. And one speaker was really well-known for his study of Greek and Hebrew. And after the guy's message, everyone went back and talked about how well, you know, how well he deciphered the Greek and Hebrew. Another guy was well-known for his great stories. And then everybody went back and talked about how great he was at telling stories. And then Chuck Smith showed up and talked about the love of God. And they all went back to the room and talked about the love of God. You know, that ought to be our heart. It's not our preeminence, but God being glorified. His name is the name. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen? You can't get saved by the name of Billy Graham. Amen? And he wouldn't want you. You know what? Touch not the glory. This man wants preeminence. Gaius wants to serve. This man wants to be served. Gaius wants people to look unto Jesus. This man wants people to look unto him. These six marks of this man should take heed to them. Jesus alone is to have preeminence. He alone. Seeking preeminence brings division. You know what? No church ever split because people are fighting over who could be the chief servant. Amen? Nobody's, you know, dude, no, no, that's my, I'm the chief servant. No, that's my job. That never has split a church. But churches have been split all the time by people seeking to be in charge. Seeking to be preeminent. Seeking to have their way. That's where you get church splits all the time. You know how you weed out guys like this? You give them servant duties. It's true. When I was a youth pastor for years, I had people showing up all the time telling me that God had sent them to our youth group because our youth group was big and exploding and God was doing great things. So God had told them to come to our youth group and that, oh, by the way, you and I are supposed to alternate teaching now and I'm supposed to eventually take over. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. So here's what you can do. You can show up uh, this Saturday and wash all the vans before we go on our... uh, on Sunday, we're leaving on a trip, you know, a, a retreat, and I need someone to wash the van. Oh, I'm not doing that. What do you think? I am a servant? Yes. That's what you're supposed to be, amen? How do you know if someone's a servant? By how they respond when they're treated like one. Amen? You weed out people like this man by giving them opportunities to serve. And if they won't serve, then they're not called. Amen? If all they want is preeminence, if all they want is to be up front, if all they want is people to honor them, they don't get it. What else do we hear about this man? It says there, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. Here's another thing, second thing we can see about this man. He's a man who will not respect authority. Who has authority? John does. He's an apostle. But he won't receive him. Why? Because he will not respect authority that's been placed over him. A man who's always right won't receive correction. Amen? If you think you're always right, you're wrong. Third, he's also not only a man who won't respect authority, he's a man who is unteachable. So not only will he not receive correction, but he won't receive or seek godly counsel. Can I encourage you? That's the body of Christ. We should be seeking godly counsel. Amen? You know, some of the people in this room are the people that I go to for godly counsel. When we first started this church, I was on the phone all the time with John Snoddley, Bill Holdridge, my father, Don McClure, Tim Brown. Why? 
because I needed godly counsel. And you know what? I'm still talking to these guys all the time. Why? Because I still need godly counsel. Guys, we never arrive. Amen? We should always be seeking counsel, seeking correction, seeking direction. And this man has gotten to a place where he's unteachable. Nobody can tell him anything. He doesn't respect the authority that God has placed over him. That's a man who's going to be very destructive to the kingdom of God. Notice what else, verse 10. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. The word pratting there means talking nonsense. It also can mean bubbling up. You know, when something bubbles up, when it comes to the surface, there's nothing to it. So the fourth thing we see about a man like this is he's a man or a woman who will slander all who come against them. Here's how somebody who won't be discipled responds when someone tries to bring correction. They slander the person. They attack the person. They tell lies about the person. This is why the Word tells us not to receive an accusation against an elder except by the mouth of two or, th- two or more witnesses. A diatrephes is a man who will attempt to divide and even destroy a church before they will repent or even examine their own behavior. I've seen this in action. People who would rather see a church fall apart than admit that they're wrong. People who would rather see everything around them crumble than come with a confessing and a broken heart to make things right. That's the kind of man that he was. False accusations without any basis in fact. It says, And not content with that he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. So not only is he a man who won't receive correction and a, a man who continues to be in a situation where he talks about others and he slanders others rather than repent himself, but he's also a man who is controlling and dictatorial. Because notice here what he says, He's telling others, he says, okay, not only am I not going to receive people into my house, but I am telling all of you that you can't either. You're not, and if you do, I'll kick you out of the church. That's what that verse says. If a missionary comes to town and needs a place to stay, he can't stay at my house, he can't stay at your house, and if you disobey and let him stay at your house, then I'm kicking you out of the church. Boy, I wouldn't want this guy for pastor. Amen? You know something? No, there's a lot of people today, a lot of pastors today that are just like that. It's a thing that used to, you know, comes and goes, the hyper-shepherding movement. I've had people tell me, I've got to call my pastor and ask him if I can buy a car. I've got to call my pastor and ask him if I can do this. I've got to call my pastor and ask him if I can do that. I've got to call my leader. I've got to ask my leader. I've got to call my pastor. i got to call. Now, again, You know, if you want to call and get a brother's opinion about something you're praying about doing, that's one thing. But if you feel like you can never move without that person's approval, something's wrong. Because, guys, we have the Holy Spirit. Amen? And he's better. But this man is saying, look, here's the deal. You do things my way. It's my way or the highway. I'm in charge around here. This is how we do things. You don't like it? Get out. It's tragic. But again, take heed lest we fall. What a difference between these two men. One forbids others to show hospitality. That's really none of his business, by the way. Amen? None of his business. 
It's not his house, not his stuff, not his call, not his nothing. Who does he think he is? Thinks he's God. That's the problem. But he attempts to take the role of God in someone else's life. And here's why his motivation is he wants to be praised. He wants preeminence. He wants to be glorified. Gaius did everything he did out of love for God and that God would be glorified. Do you see the difference? It's night and day between these two. One points always to God. One points always to himself. One takes no credit for what he does. One takes credit for things he doesn't even do. One is always praiseworthy of others. One is always tearing others down. What a contrast we see between these two men. He's going to put him out of the church. Look at the sixth thing. The sixth thing is that he's harsh in his treatment of others. Again, a my way or highway kind of guy. Supersedes his will even above the word of God. I was told recently by someone in a position of authority that I just didn't understand how hard it was for them to have to bring instruction. And yeah, they're mean, and yeah, they're angry, and yeah, they have an attitude, and yeah, nobody likes them, but that's just part of the job. And this is in a Christian situation. I said, that's weak. That's really weak. You know why? Because everything we do, we ought to do in love. Amen? And even if it's hard. You know what? I think even more so when it's hard. If somebody is facing righteous discipline, if somebody is having to hear a hard word, all the more reason ought to be delivered in love. Amen? Because discipline is to produce restoration, not destruction. Amen? So when we bring godly discipline, we should do it in a loving way, not in a way to tear somebody up. This ungodly man, he deals with people not in a loving way, but a harsh way. Gaius loves people, loves others, esteems others greater than himself. And this man instead, his heart is to do one thing, promote himself, slander others, treats other people harshly. And guys, if you see that, it's time to run in the other direction. Because look what he says there. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. And then he talks about pratting with a malicious word. So he's a malicious man. He himself does not receive brethren. He forbids those who wish to put them out of the church. And then he says this, in case we are struggling, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does, does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Here's what he's saying of this man. He's an evil man, and he has not seen God. And how do we know that? Because of his behavior. The Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. Amen? It's not by what we say about ourselves, but what our lives say about who we are. And it's by our fruit that they will know whether or not we are the men or women of God that we're called to be. So, what are the marks of this man? He's a man who loves preeminence. He's a man who will not respect authority. He was a man who is unteachable. He's a man who slanders those who come against him. He's a man who is controlling and dictatorial. And he is a man who is harsh in his treatment of others. So what does John say about this man? Verse 11, do not imitate what is evil. You've seen the example of Gaius. Now you've seen the example of this man. And what should you do? Don't imitate him. Don't follow his example. Don't be like him. We're not to imitate the diatrophies of this world. If you want to imitate an example, he's going to give you one in the next verse. One who walks in such evil has not seen God. We're to flee from them, not imitate their behavior. So, 
A word rightly spoken. We've seen to a faithful brother a word of appreciation. To a divisive dictator a word of rebuke and instruction. And now to a godly example a word of praise. So he says there, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. So he's speaking of Diotrephes. Now he speaks, and look what he says. Demetrius has a good testimony from all, and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. So a godly example, there's a word of praise. Demetrius has a godly testimony before all men. He has a godly testimony in the light of the truth of God's word. He says he has a good testimony from all. So everybody that knows him speaks of him as having a godly testimony. But then, not only from what others say, but from what the word of God says. So he has a godly testimony before all men, and has a godly testimony in the light of the truth of God's word. And then it says this, And we also bear witness that you know our testimony is true. So he has the witness of all men, he has the witness of the word of God, and now he has the witness of John, the apostle, who says we bear witness too. And everyone else knows that indeed this is a godly man. You know what? We need more Demetriuses today in the, in the church. Amen? Those who seek only to love, to serve, and to honor God, and to walk in truth. Guys, what should our testimony be measured against? Not how well we do compared to the world, but how much we reflect the word of God. Guys, we should be a living Bible. People should see Jesus in us. Our love for God and the way that we walk with Him should cause others to want to know Him. By the way, Lord willing, this Sunday, I have a handful of people coming from work to church, and not one of them is saved. So pray. Amen? And specifically, remember I told you about the lady with the Born Right the First Time t-shirt? She's coming on Sunday. She says she is. We'll see if she's telling the truth. Pray for her. You know what? Let today be the, you know, I would love to see her saved the first time we're at the, amen? Can God do that? Wouldn't that be good? But here's the point. Can I say this? That God has allowed me to have a privilege to speak to her, not because, and again, I don't want to sound self-serving, but not because I walked around self-righteous. God just put on my heart, love her. Just love her. Just love her so much it makes her sick. Just keep loving her. Keep loving her. Help her. When no one else help her, help her. When it's above you, do it anyway. And you know what's amazing is she voluntarily said, so when's that first service? What's the address? I'll be there on Sunday. What time? So pray. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You know what else though? Maybe there's, you've got coworkers. Start praying for them. Start reaching out to them. Well, that's why we're there. Amen. It's God's way of providing for us, but God wants to use us there. Now notice how he finishes the letter. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Now, what's interesting here is, he says what he said in the previous chapter, which is, the reason this letter is so short is I want to come see you. This letter's not longer because I have more to say, but I want to say it face to face. He also intimated in this text that don't worry about the man who's in rebellion. When I get there, I'll deal with him. The apostles come into town, I'll bring the godly discipline. Gaius, you just keep 
being a servant. You just keep being hospitable. You just keep using your gift. You know what? You leave the discipline to the one who's called to do it. And I'll do it when I get there. Too often, guys, we're looking and wondering why that person hasn't been dealt with. Forget about it. Leave that in the hands of the people called to do that. You be faithful with what you're called to do. Amen? We don't need to be busy bodies and worry about what everybody else is doing. So, John writes this letter to encourage Gaius. I pray you've been encouraged tonight. He writes this letter to rebuke Diotrophes. And you know what? If we need to be rebuked, may we be rebuked. And then he writes also to mention, and I think Demetrius was the one who brought the letter. A lot of people believe that. He was the one carrying it. Hands it to Gaius. Gaius reads the letter and finds out this is a godly guy too. You know what? Let him stay at your place. He's a godly man. I vouch for him. He's got got hand of God upon him. But then he writes and lets him know, I can't wait to see you. I'm longing for the time when we can hang out together face to face. So a word rightly spoken. To a faithful brother, a word of appreciation. We see the personal qualities of a faithful brother. He's spiritually healthy. He has a godly testimony and he faithfully serves others. To a divisive dictator, a word of rebuke and instruction. Saw the six marks of such a man. And then finally, to a good godly example, a word of praise. Again, my prayer ought to be that what we want to hear one day is well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's no greater word of praise than that. And that's going to come when we just lay our lives at his feet. We seek not our will, but his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for these examples in Scripture. Thank you for a man like Gaius. Lord, a man who just wants to serve you. A man who didn't care if anybody else ever knew anything he was doing. A man who never spoke highly of his own abilities or his own hospitality, but others spoke of him. A man who is just simply faithful to help others do what they're called to do. A man who helped them go further in their calling. A man who refreshed and encouraged and ministered and strengthened. Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight. Maybe they don't feel called to teach. Maybe they don't feel called to be in that, that role in the church. At the same time, Lord, we need as many Gaiuses or more Gaiuses than we need Johns. We need those who will be hospitable. We need those who will, as we go to our new church and new people show up, just love all over them. Lord, then diatrephes, Lord, we look at that man and we think, wow. But there before the grace of God goes every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would, when we start to want preeminence, convict us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, when we start to slander and tear down others, Lord, open our eyes to the truth and bring us to the end of ourselves. Lord, when we become harsh, Lord, when we, when we get to a place where we're more worried about our reputation than the kingdom of God, Lord, we've all fallen in these areas. And Lord, while we can point fingers at Him, Lord, I pray instead we'd bring a mirror in front of us. And then, Lord, we thank You for the final example of just a man who served You faithfully. We don't know all the details, but we know that he had a servant's heart. Lord, the world doesn't need to know all the details, but may we have servants' hearts. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you again for the eight plus years in this building. We thank you for the people that have been saved. We thank you for the people, the babies that have been dedicated. We thank you for the marriages that have been restored. We thank you for the people that gave their lives to you here and continue to walk with you all over the world. 
Thank you and praise you, Lord, that the church is not this building, but it's the people. To you be all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.